Praise the Lord, saints. Uh, it's good to be back with you again uh, with uh, Pursuing Word Ministries. Uh, thank the Lord for this opportunity to teach the Word one more time and to come before the saints uh, with the Word from the Lord. We do believe that the Lord is leading us into our next uh, series here. And the uh, series that we're going to go into at this time will be titled Personal Convictions. Personal Convictions. And we trust that the Lord will lead us and guide us. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will come and be our teacher, be our leader, and be our instructor through the scriptures. And before we get started, as usual, we will begin with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you, we praise you, we magnify you, we give you the praise, glory, and all the honor. Holy Father, we count it a privilege every chance we get to open up your word and to see what thus says the word of God to the people of God. Lord, you let us peer into the mind of God. You let us see what you think for us, about us, and to us. Holy Father, we pray that you make my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to declare the word of God to your people and to make it plain that we may understand it and be able to apply your word to our everyday lives, that we may grow up in you, that we may mature and become the men and the women that you will have us to be in these last and evil days in a world that has long since has lost its way. But you are still in control. You sit high and you still look low. And you know all things from the end to the beginning. And we trust you, O God, for everything that you allow to come into our lives and to happen to us. Holy Father, give your people ears to hear your word that they may receive the word on good ground. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Personal convictions. Recently, I, uh, <clears throat> I've been on a search trying to buy me a, buy me a house. And uh, it's, it's, it's most stressful trying to buy a home and uh there's so much to look out for, and and you only got so many pennies, so it's a it's a quite a stressful time. But I I thought I found the perfect house. It was it it was beautiful from the outside, from the pictures, and and we went to look at the house, and uh, everything just seemed like it was picture perfect. Had almost an acre of land. Uh, it sat on a hill. It, it was just the perfect house. Uh, it seemed like it was from uh, from looking at it and and taking a tour and speaking to the uh, now owner of the house. But when it came time for the inspection of the house, the professional inspector uh, that inspected the house before we bought the house, and when it got time for his report, he revealed some things that we couldn't see just from looking at the pictures and 
from walking through the house and taking a tour. And he revealed some things that the owner did not share with us. And the main concern that the inspector had was the foundation of the house. He told us from, from his inspection and what he could tell, all four walls of the foundation was deteriorating. They were falling in. And, and some of the floors in, in a couple of the rooms were, were sinking in, had a big dip in the floor. I didn't notice it because I was so awestruck with the house, how beautiful the wood floor was and the fresh paint and all of these things. I didn't notice the sinking floor in a couple of rooms. But he brought that to uh, <clears throat> to my attention and a few other things. Uh, but I, I simply refused to buy a house where the foundation was 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 crumbling. Uh, it would have been too much to try to fix it. I did suppose, and uh, it just wasn't worth it. So why are you telling telling me this, preacher? Well, the reason I I'm telling you this is because. It's the same way when it comes to our faith. Our faith is only as strong as our personal convictions. We can't have a strong faith if you don't have a strong conviction about what you believe. What you believe the word is saying. What you believe the word is actually saying. Opposed to what others say that it's saying. And then we build our personal convictions on what we believe the word is saying. And it comes down to this foundation of our faith being based on what we believe. And so this is what we want to begin looking at tonight is convictions. And we want to make sure that The convictions that we hold fast to are based off of the word of God. Its foundation must be the rock of God's word. Without that foundation, our faith will fall in, just like the house that has the deteriorating foundation. When, when, when the storms of life comes, when death comes, when, when, when sickness comes upon us, when, when, when financial troubles come, if we don't have a strong foundation, well, when we build our convictions, our spiritual house won't stand. So this is the purpose of our lesson, is to make sure our convictions are based off the Word of God. Now, Webster's Dictionary defines conviction as, it has a couple of definitions here. So the first definition that Webster gives us about conviction is, it's a strong belief or, uh, or an opinion. Read that again. A strong belief or opinion. The second definition that Webster gives is, it's the feeling of being sure that what you believe or what you say is true. The feeling of being sure that what you believe or what you say is true. Now the Wycliffe commentary defines uh, conviction as this. He says, it's an assurance 
that one standard is right. The assurance that one standard is right. And that's what we want. We want to know that the convictions that we hold fast to are true and right based off the word. Not because somebody else told us this or we were taught this through tradition or this is what a certain religion or or group believes, but we want our convictions, what we believe to be true and right, our strong beliefs, well, when we build our foundation on, it's based off the Word of God. Now, the conscience is what helped us form our convictions. The conscience, your conscience, my conscience, is what helped us form our convictions. Now, let's look at the word conscience from a worldly view. I'm going to read a, a few paragraphs to you so you can get an idea of what the world the unsaved world, the cosmos, the system, what do they say that a conscience is? Because we need a conscience to form a conviction. And I'm going to read from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Once again, this comes from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, and it's the conscience from a worldview. I begin, quote, As Wood interprets the Canton notion of conscience, conscience is a feeling of pleasure or displeasure associated with myself that arises when I comply or don't comply with moral principles, and that motivates me to act in one sense rather than the other when the feeling accompanies the contemplation of a certain course of action. So he's saying there that it's based off of myself and how I feel. Second quote. He says, Conscious self-assessment often produces remorse or other negative feelings such as guilt, shame, fear, and so on. Our desire or tendency to avoid this form of self-punishment can have a motivational force toward acting morally. Thus, for instance, according to Childress, the motive for acting morally defines conscience as this. In part, it's avoidance of a sanction imposed by the self on itself. Key word here sanction imposed by the self on itself. So so she's saying here that the conscience is ourselves punishing ourselves when we go against our morals. Hmm. Third quote from a worldly view. It says, we have seen above that there is a sense in which, according to some, 
Psychopaths can be said to lack a conscience. Psychopaths are not capable of connecting their moral knowledge to their conduct through the feelings of guilt and disapproval which conscience on some accounts produces. Interestingly, according to some psychologists, psychopaths are also less likely to base their sense of moral identity on moral traits than normal functioning individuals. More recent psychological studies have suggested that people tend to link the identity of others not so much to their memories, as traditionally believed, but to their morals. It is the loss of one's moral character and moral beliefs rather than one's memory that tends tends to lead us to say that a certain individual is not the same person anymore. So, he is saying here that psychopaths don't have a conscience at all. And they're not like the rest of us. The fourth quote. And I think these last couple ones are the most abrasive. There is no such thing as the notion of conscience. Both in a philosophical and in a psychological sense. As we have seen The concept of conscience has been given different interpretations throughout history, sometimes on the basis of underlining systematic philosophical theories of the mind and of morality, and sometimes serving religious or political purposes. So they're telling us there, there's, there's no such thing as a conscience. And the fifth and final quote, They say, this lack of uniformity is not only a problem for historians and theological philosophers, because it cannot cannot be immediately clear what we are talking about when we talk of conscience. Wow. And that is the worldly view of what a conscience is. Some of the key words here was myself, self-punishment, by the self, on itself, lack of a conscience. There's no such thing as the notion of conscience. And the lack of uniformity only presents a problem for historians and and, and philosophers. Now that we got that out of the way, Let's see what God's word and the men and women that God has inspired to to write his word and help us to understand his word. Let's let's get the, the real view about the conscience. Now, the Old Testament word for conscience, it is, it's a stumbling block of the heart. That's what the Old Testament writers call conscience. It's a stumbling block of the heart. And think of that word stumbling block. 
when your conscience troubles you, don't it present like a hindrance for what you're about to do or what you're thinking about? Or don't it hinder you? Isn't it like a stumbling block of your heart that gets in your way? Oh, the Hebrew writers have the perfect way of painting us the perfect picture for what they're trying to tell us. A stumbling block of the heart. The Old Testament also describes the conscience as the inner man or the mind or the will or better known, the heart. Not the heart that pumps the blood, but the seat of our emotions. The seat of our emotions. Taking it on down to the New Testament, the New Testament definition of the word conscience, it is described as it's the soul as distinguishing between what is morally good or bad, prompting us to do the good and to shun the bad, commending one and condemning the other. So the New Testament writers say that the conscience is like, it helps us to decide what is morally good and what is morally bad. It prompts us in one direction toward the good and it pulls us away or it shuns us from the bad. Much better interpretation than the worldly view that we just listened to. Would you agree? Now, the Bible dictionary says a conscience is a moral sense to discern good and evil. Very similar to the Old Testament and New Testament descriptions. It's a feeling more or less strong of responsibility. Strong of responsibility. Huh? That's what it said lets us know that this conscience is. You know, it, it, it. We get a strong feeling, you know, when we go against our conscience, we get a strong feeling that we are going against our responsibility to do right. Because of the moral standard that has already been set up in our heart, when we go against that conscience, it lets us know. We have a strong feeling of the responsibility that we have let down. The testimony of conscience certainly rests on a foundation of a divine law in man. Now that is the key. I'm going to read that again. And that's from the Theological Word Book of the Bible. The theological word book of the Bible says the testimony of conscience or the voice of conscience certainly rests on a foundation of a divine law in man. So in other words, what sparks the conscience in man doesn't come from man. What ignites or what wakes up the conscience in human beings 
doesn't come from within him or herself. It comes from a divine law that was placed in man. So man within himself cannot decide upon his conscience. Should I do it or should I not do it? Should I say We don't have that ability without a divine law given to us. And I know all of you biblical scholars that are listening, you know what a divine law can only come from one place, and that's from God, from heaven. The theological workbook of the Bible continues to say, the key reality here, however, is not that the is not the conscience, but it's rather the law implanted or written by God. You see that? The conscience only demonstrates the existence of the law. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to read that again. The key reality here is not the conscience, but rather the law implanted or written by God. The conscience only demonstrates the existence of the law. Now, which, which, which law are you talking about, preacher? Which one of these laws are you referring to? Right? Now, the the law that I'm referring to, it could be the Old Testament law, or it could be the law of Christ that Paul describes in the New Testament, right? Now, the Old Testament law was not written on man's heart. The Old Testament law was written on, on stone that God wrote and gave it to Moses and Moses gave it to the Israelites. That was the Old Testament law. And it was still a divine law that woke up the human conscience of the listeners. So when they did something that went against the law, then their conscience between began to sound out, ring his bell, let them know, uh, trouble, 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 just like the flashing lights that flash when the train is coming. That's what the conscience does because when Israel, when the Israel and the Israelites went against those Ten Commandments and the precepts and the judgments that God gave Moses, their conscience was awoken and began to do its job because it had heard the divine law that was given by God. What about us New Testament folk? Glad you asked me. When we go against the word of God, it enacts our conscience. So it's not the law that, that, that they make in Congress. It's not the law that they make a downtown. No. The law that's going to awake 
our conscience and get us feeling either good or bad is the law of Christ that we now have in the New Testament scriptures and in the word of God that we now have to go by. And the way, how do you know that, Elder? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jeremiah 31 and 33. That's why the word states in Jeremiah 31 and 33. He says, I will put my law within them. See that? It's not because I was raised good or had good parents and they taught me from a little child on up and and I know how to to conduct myself in public and be a good citizen of society. That's why I don't have a police record and and I've just been so good and I've been so kind all my life. No, no. It's because of the law of God that has been written on our hearts when we have heard the word. Huh? See that? He said, I will put my law within them and on their heart and I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And that is the key to what makes up a conscience. Not our good intentions, not our best efforts, but once we hear the word, and that word goes in our ears and goes down in our hearts, the seat of our emotions, the inner man, huh? the will, the mind. Once it goes down in there, then that word is the same way Moses and, and God engraved on those stones, the Ten Commandments. When that word goes in our ears, it is engraving his word on our hearts, whether we obey it, whether we disobey it. Once we hear it, the word has been written on our hearts. And anything we do to go against that word will ignite the conscience. And it doesn't come from any human effort. <clears throat> it's from the divine law that has been written. That's why uh, 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 the backslider can go into the bar and feel all types of guilty because of all that word that's written on his heart. That's why the hypocrite can go behind closed door and have extramarital affairs and feel so guilty because the word is written on his heart. And the conscience begins to toll the bell. Hence, the word of God is what gives the human conscience its ability to alert us to what's right and to what is wrong. Without the quickening power of the word, the human conscience remains as a dead bell never rung. Without the quickening power of the word, the human conscience remains as a dead bell that has never been rung. That's why you can have these cold-blooded murderers and killers that would just slash your throat without betting an eye. Because if they don't have the word in them, they don't have a conscience, will sleep just as good. That's why these child abusers can do what they 
do to these innocent children and sleep like a baby at night. They don't have the word in them. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Some would disagree. Well, there are some things that that human nature ought to teach them and, and just think, you can't go off of human nature. The Bible said, I will write my word on the hearts. And it's the word that says what's morally good and what's morally bad. If they don't have the word in their heart, if they don't have God's word in them, if they haven't been taught the word, if they haven't been taken to church, if they haven't listened to the word of God, hey, they don't have a conscience. That's why they can do what they can do. The theological word book of the Bible continues to say, or in other words, the conscience does not function as an independent and a sovereign arbiter of right and wrong. Not the human conscience. Rather, it is that it is that facility of the inward person on which right and wrong makes an impression. Hmm? The conscience does not determine right and wrong. The human conscience doesn't do that. Right and wrong are determined by God. And the human person may display an awareness of it. The awareness is the conscience. Now let me give you a word picture of what I just read to you. Where, where it said, the conscience does, let me read the whole quote again. The conscience does not function as an independent and sovereign arbiter of right and wrong. Rather, it is that facility of the inward person on which right and wrong makes an impression. You see, you see, back in the olden days, let me give you a word picture. Back in the olden days, when when the when the king would 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 write an edict or a decree, and then he would take some hot wax and pour it on on the envelope, and then he would take his step and smash it down, embedding his seal on that hot piece of wax. And ever who opened that letter, they will break that seal and they say, "This is from the king." When the word our our our, our conscience is that hot ball of wax. And the word of God is the seal that makes an impression on the conscience. But you can't have that impression on the conscience if if people don't hear the word. If preachers don't teach the truth. How can they hear without a preacher? How can he preach except he be sent and and, and the commission must be from God. It must be a divine commission because the divine law is given to be impressed upon the conscience. No, 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 no. It's not the human conscience that determines right and wrong. Right and wrong is determined by God. And the human may display an awareness of it. And this awareness is called the conscience. Let me give you another example. Animals. I watch this uh, show. This uh, I like to watch sometimes these 
science shows and these nature shows. You may like them too. They're quite informative. And and, and, and if you're a preacher, <laughs> hey, you can get some good uh, illustrations from watching these things. Anyway, they were showing these animals that lived in these deep, dark caves. Huh? Animals we never saw, little creatures, uh, caterpillars we never seen before, but they are inside of these deep, dark caves. And these explorers would go down deep and, and find these animals. But you know what? Any animals, they said, that lived in a deep, dark cave, they have no eyesight. They don't even have no eyes because they don't need them. So their bodies evolved that they didn't need eyes. They just went off of the smell or their ears, but they didn't need eyes because it's so dark. There was no light. Now, they also brought out that if these same animals moved closer to where light was, maybe near the entrance of the cave, or maybe if they lived around somewhere where a beam of light was shining through, the longer they lived near the light, the more their sight would slowly return, and their eyes would slowly be reformed. Don't you know, we humans and the human conscience is the same way? Living without the light of God's word, our conscience remains darkened. Murderers, terrorists, all of these people that do all these ungodly things and and don't have a least bit of remorse, their conscience is darkened. But as we allow the word of God into our lives, into our hearts, huh, our conscience becomes alive with the light of God's truth. Mm. Don't, 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 don't look so badly at the sinner that doesn't have a awakened conscience that, that doesn't help them make good personal convictions don't look at them so badly you know why because before Christ enlightened our conscience we were in the dark too we didn't have no spiritual eyes either That's why it's so important for us that have consciences that have been enlightened by the truth of God's word. Where when we based strong personal convictions based off the word of God. And we listen to our conscience when it rings his bell and when it tolls the sound of no, no. Well, that's the way to go. We can hear it clearly. And we can point others to the sound, to the word, to the light. I think this is a good place to stop. Let's end with prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your listeners. 
We trust that something was said tonight that will encourage your people and that will, that will ignite a thirst in their hearts to continue to seek after your word. As the deer paints after the water, so does our souls paint after the pain after thee. Bless us tonight, Holy Father. Keep us safe until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good night. Talk to you again next week. <laughs>